0: belong become believe you're listening to grace church of northwest arkansas podcast the message for may 29th 2022 is called small seed big plant the teacher is tim holland and the location is clap auditorium mount sequoia in fayetteville arkansas good morning again grace church everybody here at mount sequoia um so, like Alex said, this has been a pretty heavy week. Um, so earlier in the week, I thought the weighty thing that I would just want to address, you know, briefly, um, was the SBC report that came out. But uh, you know, which is still pretty weighty, uh, especially for those who grew up in the denomination. Um, you know, there's a lot of hurt and betrayal and confusion. And uh, John's going to be unpacking that a bit next week. Just want to let you know. But um, then what happened Tuesday? Uh, For me, I'm um, angry, sorry, heartbroken and scared, and um, I just really want to be careful not to transfer that onto the youngest among us here, Um, so I'm going to just want to, that's why I'm speaking in more or less vague terms, Um, just want to protect their innocence as long as we can, Um, even though we live in a place that clearly does not value it. And if events like these in the last two years of the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that as a society, we don't value human life like we should. And I don't know how to reconcile that. So, but what I do know is that grief is something that can move us to action and fear can drive refuge building and anger change and and the voice that brings it about. So in this we as a church, you know, each individual here has the opportunity to build God's kingdom here on earth. We don't need to wait around for a solution or for others to bring answers because God's kingdom is here. It's now. Um, you know, we've been reading through the parables last several weeks and uh last week John taught on the parable of the growing seed and how the kingdom of God is an invitation. And um, you know, it's an invitation to trust that God is at work and to own what we're responsible for, but not to take on responsibility that doesn't belong to us. Um, so, you know, he he teed us up really well to be wondering, you know, so what is our role in the kingdom? Like, what is our responsibility? Um, I know, you know, if you're like me, you've just been waiting all week to to hear what that what that is. Um, I'd like to find out myself. So, um, no, we're going to be touching on that today. But um, our passage comes from Mark 30 through 34, just the, the one that follows what we shared last week. Um, And it reads, he also asked to what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use to present it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown in the ground, even though it is the smallest of all the seeds in the ground, when it is sown, it grows up, becomes the greatest of all garden plants and grows large branches so that the wild birds can nest in its shade. So with many parables like these, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately he explained everything to his own disciples. Um, in getting ready for today, I've thought through uh, a lot of the teachings I've heard over the years around this parable, and uh, I found that there's a lot more baggage than I realized, a lot of extra stuff that was added on, scaffolding, if you will, to kind of like prop up because you know what Jesus taught wasn't quite enough. Um, You know, so we often, and like, and that's a human problem. Like we often approach scripture, um, looking for the most fundamental nugget of truth, the most easily digestible, like pearl of wisdom. And, uh, unfortunately one of the more common threads in biblical text and Christian history teaches us that, um, that God is mystery, that there aren't answers to everything. Um, the Bible is not a book of answers, um, You know, instead of accepting that at face value, we dig deeper and confirmation bias eventually leads us to so much extra meaning in scripture. Uh, Hidden revelations, rhema words for anybody who's like Pentecostal background, um, hidden revelations and and even conspiracies, um, which match up really well to to extra biblical conspiracies we see in society today. Um, We were prepared for that. So. Um, and there are a lot of those that wrap themselves around this simple passage, this parable, and we're going to be covering those today. Um, you know, the parable about the mustard seed and, um, once, once they're stripped away, we're left with something that's pretty basic, but really good. And it's that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Um, so with all of that, I feel like I do need to deconstruct it a little bit. And then, um, just a note on deconstruction for those of you who are less familiar or who have been told that it's really bad and you shouldn't, you shouldn't go there. Um, Deconstruction is a good thing. It's widely misunderstood. It's gotten a bad rap because it contains within it or around it, like a fear of the unknown, because there's no like prescriptive path through it. We can't determine the outcome for somebody. Um, But you deconstruct When you deconstruct, you choose to deconstruct because you know the house has good bones. But it's just kind of let itself go. There's decay and rot and layers of paint and wallpaper and more paint from people who lived there before you. And you know you've got to rip it down to the studs to find the good. Deconstruction is a process of reclaiming the essence of faith because you know it's got good bones. And if people tell you that deconstruction is a word that struggling Christians use, when they lose faith, please remind them that what they're actually describing is called apostasy, not deconstruction. It's different. And it's okay. So <laughs> I'll try not to veer too far into my own deconstruction uh, journey. That's not where we're here today. Uh, this is not meant to be free therapy. I, um, I've been on the receiving end of that at age nine in kids' church, uh, my mom and dad. They, they've been tuning in for the last few months. Uh, yeah, so age nine in kids' church as Doug Smith um, shared his testimony one Sunday. And I left with so many questions about divorce and his ex-wife. It was really confusing. Um, but there was also, that was also the stage of life where I heard most of these parables for the first time. You know, starting with flannel graph in preschool and puppets and story time in elementary I got an extremely sanitized account of the Gospels and Jesus's teachings and overly graphic details of his crucifixion and lots of extra biblical opinion delivered as instructional fact. I was a very literal black and white thinking kid who grew up to be a very literal black and white thinking adult. I don't do metaphor unless I know I'm supposed to. And then I get frustrated when other people don't get it. Um, Like the film Castaway. Great movie. I love it. Um, But I nearly ended three friendships simultaneously. One of whom, one of which was with a blood relative. Because I got so heated when they just couldn't understand the significance of Wilson. (laughs) Like, completely veer away from my notes. Wilson so I discussed with someone I love last night. We had a really great discussion about it last night. and They were very receptive. Um, Wilson is the part of himself that he had to leave behind and say goodbye to. It died on the island, and he was never going back. It was never going to be a part of him again. I cried in that movie. My friends thought I was nuts. They had the problem. Okay. They're still wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean it was like his own blood. Come on. Okay, move on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so when people teach on parables, I want to know the rules. Like, are we talking metaphor? Like, what's going on? Um, so the first first thing I, I filter I put it through is is the parable instructional? And if it's instructional, to whom? Second, is the parable dis- disruptive to Jesus' historical and or cultural context? In other words, does it deconstruct the religious scaffolding built around core instruction. And then the third is, uh, is the parable more or less just an FYI? Um, Which, I'm I'm actually serious on that. (laughs) So, is it just an FYI? Okay, that's nice, I'll move on. I'll keep reading. Um, You know, so my earliest memories around this parable in particular, the one of the mustard seed, are of the scaffolding that's built around it. Um, scaffolding that discredits scientific theory, limits biblical imagination, and diminishes creative interpretation. Um, it's like my Sunday school teachers and wanting to downsize scripture so that children could understand it, which is always, always, always a mistake because if anything, it's the grownups who need the watered down version so that they can understand scripture, um, You know, like this robbed us of the cognitive dissonance discussion around how an omniscient God in human form would be limited to a first century understanding of agronomy. Um, Instead, I just remember learning how mustard seeds are the smallest seeds in the world and they grow into the largest tree in the world. (laughs) Um, We'll get to that in a second. Um, You only need a tiny little bit of faith for God to do something. And if you have a tiny little bit of faith, and they were conflating another passage from Matthew with this. It's the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. Nothing to do with this. I think Jesus just loved the analogy of a mustard seed and was workshopping this, maybe. Um, That's probably sacrilegious to say. No, it's okay. I just move on. Okay. Um, But it's like, if you have a tiny little bit of faith, the smallest amount of anything you could think of, like a seed, um, but this is where my brain went off (laughs) into wondering um, about the makeup of atoms and if anyone would ever observe quarks in my lifetime because that's the smallest thing that I could think of. Um, But by the time I floated back in, my takeaway was the same. Faith is a small thing that you only only need a little bit of, but my faith was so small that it must be the size of one of innumerable subatomic particles. So small that it is dwarfed in relative comparison to a giant mustard seed type faith. That God wants me to have. So I need to mustard the courage to see what I cannot Justin that was for you. Mustard the courage to see what I cannot see and believe despite my doubt because my faith is just too small. So even though we're like just the size of a mustard seed, I just took it to the extreme. very literal think of the smallest thing you can think of. well, relatively that's my faith is just so tiny. it's not a big old mustard seed. Um, you know, it all, but it always came back to what I had to do in order to deserve to deserve favor, acceptance, and grace. Even as a nine-year-old, um, you know that. And Doug Smith thinking he'd never find love after committing the sin of divorce. Um, you know, but that said, we're talking really small seeds here. So, um, at eighty-three micrometers, or one three hundredth of an inch, and zero point eight one micrograms—that's one thirty-five millionth of an ounce. The world's smallest seed belongs to the orchid, Gomisa crispa, and the largest tree is the giant sequoia, or in layman's terms, the sequoia dendron giganteum, which can grow to be nine meters, it's 30 feet in diameter, and 76 meters tall, which is 250 feet. By comparison, a mustard seed is 1,000 times larger than the smallest seed, and a mustard tree, which is technically a plant or a bush, uh, can grow up to nine meters tall, which is still relatively unheard of for mustard trees plants. Um but even so that height is only the diameter of a giant sequoia. Um but you know that orchid and the giant sequoia are here on the western hemisphere. So Jesus this this is the journey I took this week. So just welcome to my brain how we how we break things down. So but that orchid and the giant sequoia are here on the western hemisphere. So Jesus would have had no idea. He would never have heard of what they what they were. Um, yes, God is all all knowing, but I, I was leaning more into the humanity, uh, which I think we often forget. Um, you know, but what he was really good at with these parables was using examples that really connected with people, and that's what that's what the st- the, the strength of the story. Um, and people knew their mustard seeds and the bushy weeds that grew from them. Um, we have varieties of mustard plants here uh, North America. And, uh, they're just like weeds that grow and you let them go. They turn into these big bushes. And, um, it's almost like, like Bermuda grass, just a little bit. It's just going to take over an entire space. And then you have a place for people to come and relax and, uh, mice to run around as we've discovered a couple years ago. Um, but you know, there's, there is, um, even debate about that, like online, like, well, is mustard, plant a is it a plant or is it a tree and so so much so much debate that if you were a uh an aspiring botanist interested in uh the mustard plant you would have a hard time googling it without pulling up results debating the scriptural significance of the parable um because misinformation is is abundant online as we know um And you can find a lot of misinformation about things when there's a lot of misinformation. That's how Google works. The search algorithm weighs more than 250 unique metrics. And one of the most significant ones it uses is the amount of content that there is on a particular topic or viewpoint of a topic. So that's what's gonna come up to the top of the search result. So um, whether it's accurate information or not. And that's the case with this parable. There's a lot of extra biblical material an opinion that makes it hard to find anything substantive about the mustard plant. Um, you know, and people so desperately want to have a viewpoint, I'm coming back, people so desperately want to have a viewpoint about this um, that they, that we have essentially trained Google's algorithm to deliver less than complete information and future botanists are being radicalized right under our noses. Um, and nobody's talking about it. So, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, so in doing this searching, I thought it was, it was interesting, and um, it really lined up with a lot of that unnecessary scaffolding that I remember from this passage, and I'm sure a lot of you remember from this passage or, or even bringing in today. And I've, you know, in the last week or two, worked on kind of letting some of that go. It's been interesting. but um, So here we go. I'm just going to read a few quotes that I have found, I'm not going to cite sources because some of those sources may be familiar, not to everyone, but a few. So uh, here's the first: as we search the parable, we commonly see the seed as representing the kingdom of God brought into the world by Jesus. Okay, just as the tiny tree grows into a large tree, the kingdom of God will grow into a large tree. Okay, I'm tracking that, and will become a powerful spiritual kingdom and eventually control the world that took a left turn um okay next one you might not feel like much is happening when you're reading god's word the bible well jesus said it's the smallest of all seeds less than all jesus said it's less than all less than all sounds like more like my tradition so you may feel like the word of god is not going to do anything for you but i'll tell you jesus said it's less than all um so we're saying the word of god is less than all by trying to say it's you know it's a great thing um Next, the Lord is completely willing to talk to his people and to use them to speak his words to others. I'm down with that. All it takes is a teachable heart, a mustard seed of faith, and a willingness to step out. Training in prophecy can also help. I thought that was one of my favorites. All right. Yeah. Some regard this as a beautiful picture of the church growing so large that it provides refuge for all the world. I mean, I I see that. I think we could agree on that. Um, but this mustard seed plant has grown into a monstrosity. And it harbors birds who in the parables are emissaries of Satan. That's probably the sharpest left turn we've seen yet. So, um Okay, and then the last one here. I don't. I'll. I'll keep going here. But um, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a microscopic mustard seed that grows into a towering tree. Um, so I had LASIK like ten months ago, and pretty sure I didn't get superpowers from it. But I can totally see the little mustard seeds inside of deli mustard. Like it, they're not microscopic. Um, you know. But the main point, and he continues. The main. It is a he. Um, the main point is obviously the contrast of beginning and end, and it is obvious in the emphasis of smaller and greater language, which does not sound so obvious to me. All right. So, and also <laughs> note on that, whenever someone says the Bible is clear, I generally brace myself for strongly worded opinion spoken as God's truth. Um, we give God a lot of credit for stuff that, that God doesn't say, <laughs> so, um, you know, but, In talking about hidden revelation and almost conspiratorial takes on passages like these in scripture, uh, when our teaching team met this week, John reminded us that when you say your faith is inspired, infallible, or comes from a plain reading of scripture, what you're actually saying is that your faith is in the interpretation of your reading of scripture. Anything we believe is an interpretation. Reading it in English, it's an interpretation. We're highly dependent on someone else's translation of scripture. And then there's cultural context, personal history, you name it. For me, taking interpretation and instruction around nonsensical teachings like the ones that I just read, um, so literally hid the meaning behind the the scaffolding that was never meant to be there. Because reality is always, or most often, far, far less dramatic and far more boring than conspiracy. Because the truth is that there is no secret meaning to be found here. Jesus was either speaking in very literal terms or he was speaking using juxtapositional hyperbole. Uh, so I'm gonna read the passage again. So Mark four thirty through 34. To what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or What parable can we use to present it? It is like a mustard seed that when it's sown into the ground, even though it is the smallest of all the seeds in the ground, when it is sown, it grows up. Becomes the greatest of all garden plants and grows large branches so that the wild birds can nest in its shade. So looking at it literally here, um, we have it in, you know, looking at it literally in black and white, without adding any additional meaning, meaning or interpretation, hopefully not meanings. Um, completely objectively, there is good meaning to draw meaning to draw from it. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Starts small, grows big, Birds build nests in its shade, and that's the kingdom of God. And if we're taking the uh, juxtapositional hyperbole route, these like way opposing like extremes, um, which certainly makes sense for someone who was always speaking in parables, uh, juxtapositional imagery, like a speck of sawdust in the eye or feeding a camel through the eye of the needle, um, it's pretty on brand for Jesus. The opposing extremes here are the small size of the seed and the unexpected large side of the plant that it produces. It's not super extraordinary, but it's still out of the ordinary. The plant grows disproportionately to its seed size. That's the kingdom of God. For a bonus, and I've never heard this teaching before, um, the mustard plant's flowers, seeds, leaves, stalk, and uh, roots are all edible. Um, I don't know how that preaches, but I I think it's kind of interesting. tasty yeah all right try it sometime so uh either way like a seed god's kingdom is small but it's not fragile his kingdom is scrappy but it can't grow on its own his kingdom can lie dormant then spring up out of nowhere in ways you might not expect his kingdom takes time to build it's people it's us we take time to build trust and friendship and mutual reliance but in doing so, we're building his kingdom. And wherever we take, and whether we take the literal or the juxtapositional hyperbolic route, the kingdom of God is unexpected. And I may have tried, but I never really bought into all of the scaffolding that was built around this parable. Um, And because I felt like um, what might be left over... Because what I, I I felt like what might be left over might just be insignificant, so I didn't really like readdress it or like dig in and deconstruct this, the scaffolding. Because I, as I told Laura like like I just felt like it was just more of one of those FYIs from Jesus. Like you know, okay, let's move on. She, she thinks I'm ridiculous that I even have that that metric, that category. Yeah. Um... You know, but that's that's that was my take, something that Jesus was uh like I said earlier, he was just workshopping um because I couldn't think of any possible application that would not build new scaffolding uh onto where you know in this week, like looking at it, I didn't want to like build an application out there, just build new stuff onto something we just like pulled it off of um I didn't want our takeaway to be that we needed to have you know faith and obey um And maybe, you know, training and prophecy or, you know, that that um, God can help us find true love again. Um, You know, whatever that looks like. But, you know, in in talking about it, though, Laura challenged me to lean into culture, into the cultural context of Israel at the time uh, and their understanding of God's kingdom and how it would be built on Earth. And the uh, the unexpected bit that I didn't expect was there all, all along. It just kind of grew out of nowhere, at least for me. Small seed, huge plant, unexpected result, and this was Jesus' whole deal. So in the book, Red Skies, which is a collection of essays written about the future of the church, uh, Mark Deimaz writes, uh, he's a pastor in Little Rock, actually, writes that one of the things Jesus did in his teaching was correct a fundamental error in Jewish, Jewish eschatology. They believed the Messiah would come, fight an epic battle, and restore earthly rulership to the Jewish people. But bit by bit, Jesus showed them that this wasn't the way of the kingdom. Instead, he taught, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. In his depictions of the world, Jesus said, we would all be made new and that our engagement with each other would be distinguished by meekness, mercy, peacefulness, sexual propriety, an an unanxious reliance on the provision of God, love for enemies, forgiveness toward those who wrong us, reconciliation, and truthfulness. And Jesus was not short on the ability to defeat Romans militarily, but he knew that victory could never be brought about. uh, Sorry, just getting back in the quote here. But he knew that victory could never bring about the kingdom of God. The kingdom isn't enforced on others. It works from the inside out. The kingdom comes bit by bit, person by person. It starts small and ends large. As a mustard seed or like yeast, it expands organically. This was God's great takeover plan, that each of his followers would expand the kingdom of God in their sphere of influence until it was thoroughly ensconced in the world. This is why the disciples' question was so big the end that they desired was never coming by the means they imagined. Only by the slow work of every single follower would the kingdom become evident. Um, We often love to use the disciples' errors as like comedic fodder, um, but how many of us are making that same error? How many of us believe that issues of race are intractable until Jesus returns? And here again, the wrong eschatology will lead to limited action. If we believe we will inevitably continue to suffer in this area, we may be tempted to simply make the status quo tolerable. What if instead we take Jesus's eschatology seriously? The kingdom is here and we are carriers of the good news. If we really believed that, we'd look at our current existence and do whatever it takes to make the state of race look like Jesus is in charge. And uh, Demise goes on to say then, when I look for evidence of mustard seeds in my city, I think of my friends who work on voting rights, laboring to make sure that every single person has a voice. I think of my friends reforming foster care, making sure more kids of color will grow up with their parents. I think of my friends serving on a parent-teacher organizations, improving public schools for underserved families. The influence of these followers of Christ may feel, at first, um, may feel small at first, affecting only one, but they're significant. They will grow in unexpected ways. So, for us here, Northwest Arkansas, I see those same seeds in our community, um, and here at Grace, you know, with with Canopy working hard to furnish whole homes so that refugees have a safe place for their families, um, or if they come as individuals, with Seven Hills offering hope for our neighbors and friends experiencing homelessness. And the parable of the mustard seed is a passage of hope of a kingdom that is here right now a kingdom that is wholly dependent on us because the kingdom is us. It calls us to action, to make a change in our community, to volunteer at local schools, to serve meals, foster and adopt kids, to support women, to honor the planet he created for us, to call out injustice and bigotry and prejudice, prejudice, and to give generously. Jesus is not dependent on our action, but his kingdom is. I guess we could say this passage is calling us to action, and it's not an FYI. Um, We're called to build God's kingdom on earth right here, right now. And every little bit we do counts. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.